Welcome to Ponta Vista, episode 78. Uh, I'm Andrew, and I'm joined, as always, uh, from Hawaii by Lucy. Hello. Uh, from Brisbane by Theo. Hey. How hot is it, Theo? Um, it's okay. It's threatening to rain anytime soon, which is nice. It was supposed to rain last night, but instead it was just insanely hot and about 120% humidity. Oh, cool. But this is the hell I've chosen to live in, so... Yeah, it's true. That's Self- on me. Self-inflicted It curse. is. Yeah. Uh, and calling in from the US of A, uh, we have a guest from the well-known Chapo Trap House. We've got Will Menica. Hello. Greetings from uh, the other side of the planet here in warm and sunny uh, New York City. That's Brooklyn, baby. Woo. Woo. I think um, the only podcaster on earth to complete the podcaster's triad, which of course is Bunta, Chapo, and Cumtown. Wow, that's there it. There you go. This is illustrious. Uh, this is the trifecta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle of podcasting. So, um, so we asked Will to come on, and we thought maybe uh, what we could talk about is something I've heard Will say on on Chapo that he finds it finds it very funny to talk to listeners who are not from America, who listen to the the reading series that you guys do of you know opinion pieces from. Uh, very donkey-brained conservative columnists, and the only awareness that your audience has of these people is is via the channel of the show. So they're just this cast of strange characters that seemingly just exist uh, through the audio of your show, um, which is a, a funny concept to us. And we've sort of had the same experience with our own American listeners who listen to our show and are only aware of characters like uh, Andrew Bolt and Mark Latham and all of our extremely uh, weird cooked units that we have over here. And they really only get that perspective uh, through our show. And we thought maybe what we could do is um, give you a kind of greatest hits of some of our extremely bad conservative columnists um, and maybe even try and find, try and find some parallels between um, your cast of characters and our own. I'm looking at this as sort of like a, uh, a, a baseball scout. You know, I'm going to Australia and I'm going to find uh, the, the, wor- the shittiest conservative columnist that you know, I'm going to give a contract to to come play in the big leagues in America. Well, you got to figure out who's getting the trade for Barry Weiss. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, you, got, you guys get Barry. And uh, I mean, that's... I don't know, a draft pick to be uh, named at a future date. Yeah, well, um, I, I don't really know what we're getting for Barry because, like, the the sort of uh, psychotically pro-Israel stance is just sort of a, a default uh, baked into conservatism over here, um, which is sort of, I don't know if that it seems a bit weirder for, for that to be the case in Australia, but I don't know. It, uh, it, it sort of ticks all the same boxes as far as, like, um, you know, hey, we can't be xenophobic about anything else if we're staunchly pro-Israel all the time. So let's just keep banging that drum. Uh, how about uh, you guys get Barry and then we get... Uh, who, fuck, who is that guy? Uh, your former prime minister, the one who eats uh, raw onions and wears, like, cool Oakley shades. <laughs> oh, Tony Tony Abbott? Tony Abbott, yeah. Gotta love Tony. Um, he's He's doing well at the moment, so he got deposed as prime minister within his own party and then said what i'm gonna do is just hang around and fuck shit up um basically until i get fired and so his his latest job is um he's like a 
special like he he's basically been given busy work to stop him from like actively sabotaging the current government because they're having enough tr- problems sabotaging themselves and so he's like the special indigenous envoy um and he's chosen to to really help out the indigenous people in australia by putting out statements about how he thinks that there is like too much of a focus on um, like welcome to country statements and stuff, which is so like when there's when there's like speaking engagements and functions and stuff in Australia, a lot of the time people will open the proceedings um, with like thanking the traditional owners of the land and and doing like welcome to country stuff and um, yeah, like he, a legitimate good thing that harms nobody. Yeah, and um and so in his role as special envoy. Uh, for, for indigenous people he has said I reckon there's too much of a focus on that and if you're going to acknowledge all that stuff you should probably be acknowledging like uh, Catholic prayer as well <laughs> which why, why, why the special acknowledgement for Catholic prayer well that's just as legitimate as anything else according, well, so yeah. according to staunchly Catholic Tony Abbott <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just thinking uh, maybe uh, when Barry uh, goes to Australia for the New York Times, I was uh, I was hoping that uh, she didn't, you know, read the job offer uh, closely enough, and, and this promotion is in fact that they're sending to her Australia, but they're actually sending her to that that fucking island you guys have, just full of uh, all of the uh, refugees you've uh, captured. <laughs> oh yeah, she could be the uh, the Manus Island correspondent. <laughs> yeah. In fairness, uh, they, they recently there was recently a leak that finally established that um, so like journalists apply to go over there because they want to report on what's happening, and they always get their visas knocked back. Um, several years ago, uh, either Nauru or I think it was Nauru raised the fee for applying for a visa from like two hundred dollars to somewhere between three and eight thousand oh, dollars, um, cool. and it became non-refundable. So basically, like, they, they just made it a thing where it was no longer sustainable for journalists to ask if they could go there. Um, and strangely enough, the only people that ever managed to get uh, visas to go over there were super pro-government right-wing columnists mm. who would go over and say, oh, these people are living on a tropical paradise. We'd all love to live on an island. They've got flat screen TVs in here. They get to go on the beach. Um, only one person a month is self-immolating. <laughs> It's like the uh, it's like the deal um, uh, Clarice offers Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yes, he says you yes. can walk on the beach, you know, every day of the week on Plum Island, the government anthrax uh, research facility. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'll be given one week out of the year where you can, you know, wait, walk on the beach, like lay in the sand, swim in the ocean. Yep. So um, so it was finally revealed through through a leak pretty recently that um despite the Australian government's denials, that apparently they, they share responsibility with uh, Nauru's government for approving uh, which media visas uh, get, get ticked off to go over there. Despite saying the whole time, well, you know, we can't do anything about which journalists get access to that country because it's a whole other country. Um, so Barry's got a, a good chance, I reckon, of getting posted over there. Dude, I'm, I'm starting the GoFundMe right now to get her that visa. <laughs> Uh, send Barry on an island cruise. I only just learned that she's coming to Australia. This is this is some news to me. Well, it's weird. It's Not sure weird, that I like it. It's a weird thing because, like, a lot of journalists here were just like, "Hey, you know what the New York Times could do if they wanted some sort of special insight into like 
political affairs through the lens of Australia is they could just pay one of the fucking journalists here. <laughs> Why you got to send Barry Weiss over to just give yeah, like an uninformed take about it? Yeah. Do, pe- mm. do people in America know who Barry Weiss is? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the people with terminal, you know, online political brain poisoning know who Barry Weiss is, but, you know, I don't think, like, the, you know, if you stop, you know, nine out of ten people on the street, right. they would know who the fuck she is. Mm. People who read the New York Times opinion page. Yeah, exactly. Because are, are they banking on, like, name recognition? Because, like, to her, to, like, to us, she just means nothing. Just, like, maybe they're like, blank. Maybe they're banking on just not having to deal with, like, Barry Weiss getting um, protested at universities and having to talk to her about it anymore. <laughs> just go talk to somebody else for a while. Um, all right, so let's see see who we got here. We got, just to kick off, a little a little section from a um, friend of the show, Caroline Marcus. Oh, uh, my God. Who, <laughs> so she's, she's kind of like a really lightweight, um, like, Tommy Laren... Okay. Kind of figure in the sense that, like, she's very clearly just liked for being sort of small and blonde. Um, she, she's, she's just like, you know, a, a five foot tall, skinny, white blonde lady. But her, her family was like living in Singapore when she was born. So she's always like describing herself as like a proud immigrant, <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> which is very good. She's like, I think I can speak from my. And, heritage. She, and like in like Tommy, does she just sort of like you know uh, do do videos where she's like you know the 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 young uh, blonde woman uh, says the thing that um, your racist uh, grandparents or uncle uh, is thinking? Yes, there is there is Pretty a bit much. of that. There is a bit she of that. She writes it some, in the newspaper. She does get like spots on some morning TV shows sometimes. She was on. Oh, she was one of the three women who was on that Kochi's Angels panel oh, on God. one of the morning shows i feel like this is digging into an entirely oh we, and we and we don't thing. we don't need to get into kochi um, i need i need to know about kochi's angels so who are these angels what's what's his full name da- david david Koch, Koch? i think and um so he's he's just like a morning morning uh show host like daytime talk show host sort of thing and um they had a segment for a while which was just like three three women um, who were all, I think, vaguely columnists of some kind. And they would have Kochi's Angels, where he would, you know, just throw a question to them that they would debate amongst themselves. Um, always r- really smart stuff. Um, like <laughs> Just a truly bizarre concept on its face, too. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Caroline writes about the most lightweight shit in the world. Um, my personal favourite was when she put on a fat suit... And then went out and did oh. investigative <laughs> reporting. Um, on what? what? What was she reporting on? Like, what's it like to be uh, seen as um, uh, not uh, skinny and hot in society? Yes. It turns out that that was the entire takeaway from this thing is that... Um, uh, Tyra Banks did that um, a while ago. So she's, she's ripping off uh, Tyra like a Banks. a long time ago. The Tyra long Banks ago, show. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it turns out that it was just a big affront to her and she was absolutely stunned to find out that if you put on a, uh, a nutty professor uh, <laughs> clumps, clumps suit and wander around in public that um, people stop uh, stopping you in the street and asking if they can help with anything, if they can help you carry your phone number, you know, uh, any of that sort of stuff. Just like, wow, it turns out that people treated me quite differently, you know. I was like, wow, this is some, some absolutely stunning insight. 
uh, led to my favorite caption on a photo, which was just a photo of her walking down the street in the fat suit with the caption on the photo, Caroline Marcus in a fat suit. <laughs> <laughs> Where was this published? Is it like the Financial Review? Yeah. <laughs> this was definitely a, a Murdoch, um, like a Herald Sun or a, mm. or a Daily Telegraph kind of number. Uh, what, are, what are some other uh, Caroline uh, takes? So there's so definitely you, some more racist ones, right? There's definitely there's definitely the racist ones. Oh, she she wrote like a whole um she did a whole uh, white farmer South African genocide. Take, oh, okay. Um, because as we all know, the real victims of racism are the whites. And are you aware of are you aware of the like the whole same sex marriage uh, deal here over the last couple of years? Uh, no. Explain. So, do you guys have gay marriage yet? We finally do. We do now. Uh, we finally do. Really late in the piece. Uh, it's it's another thing, like you know, uh, legalizing weed. That I'm genuinely pretty mad that America is at like so much before us. Uh, well, you know, not not where I live, buddy. You know, uh, New York has yet to get that uh, the, the the legal tomb gang in New York. Well, the the city I live in, which is, I guess, the the equivalent to the uh, Washington D.C. type uh, political area, uh, the city I live in is is a I think about to be like the first place in the country to legalize just just smoking weed. Like they're they're going to say that you can you can just be be holding weed, you can grow a couple of plants on your own house or whatever. There will just no longer be criminal charges for possession or use of weed or anything they decriminalized it a while ago but they're they're talking about just properly legalizing it now but like that's that's as progressive as we've got on this is like just getting to the point of we'll stop hassling you about it in one city in the country so what's what's what was the deal that you guys had to make to get a, a gay marriage so the deal was that this this was a thing that like uh, again it was taking politicians a really long time to catch up to the populace um people were like just how about you just do it the polling for over a decade had sort of shown like over 70 percent of the people in the country were in favor of it and that number was going up all the time um so after being pressed about the issue for a long time the conservative government led by your favorite Tony Abbott, um, said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a referendum on this and ask the whole country. And it was then pointed out that, um, you know, like a constitutional change isn't actually required to do this. They could just pass a law. They Mm -hmm. could do it today. Uh, And instead, uh, they said, ooh, okay, we don't need to do a referendum. What we'll do instead is a plebiscite, um, which is, you know, essentially a non-binding referendum. It's when uh, an organism lives off um, another one at its own yeah. detriment, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so they they were going to do a plebiscite. They were going to, you know, of, like ask everybody in the country, and then they said, "Oh, well, that seems like a bit of a pain. So, what we'll do instead is just like mail a card out to everybody <laughs> in the country, and you can f- fill it in. It'll be non-mandatory and non-binding." And a lot. Oh, of right, because you like, guys have mandatory voting there too, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Straight. Um, and. Again, people were like, wow, we can really feel your commitment to this concept waning the whole time. Um, They were also talking about like uh, sort of apportioning equal quantities of public funding for people to make like to publicly make the case for and against same sex marriage. Um, And again, it's a thing where a lot of people were like, "Uh, 
how how much do we have to have a long and protracted public debate about like the whether or not gay people exist you know um here here would be my uh compromise uh this is this is my if i was an australian if i was tony abbott uh we'd say we get gay marriage we pass a law we legalize gay marriage but in exchange the government has to give back all of the guns they seized uh after the port arthur massacre oh yeah (laughs) Just dump them all every, out in the truck. You have to just, yeah, just go door to door, just be like, returning these, you know, like a pawn shop or whatever. It's like, still got the little gun. receipt still attached. Have a receipt. Yep. Um, and, you know, even if it's not your gun, um, you'll you'll get an extra one. Some of the unclaimed guns, you know, people who have you know, died <laughs> since then or whatever, just of natural causes, not gun-related causes. Some of those guns need uh, a home. So I think it's time to uh, rearm the country. Well, did you know, Will, that when, when this, um, when they actually seized, they, they bought all these guns back, um, there was actually like all of this very dramatic footage of, so they would just lay all the guns out on a, like a, a flat clearing and then run over them with a bulldozer. <laughs> wow. Like, like, you can you go, know. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, it's just the most, like, it, like you take something away that, that like people love and then you're like, ah, but this is what we're going to do to it. And then just slowly run over it with a bulldozer. I don't think they did that to all of them, but it's like some sort of point scoring. I don't know. It's, it was a very weird, weird time, but the footage is definitely out there. They should uh, like-, like line up all the guns and um, shoot each of them individually with another gun. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite variation on that, that they were doing in um, one state in Australia for a while. I don't know if they still are. But like the, they bought into these specific anti-hoon laws for people who were like you know drag racing in their cars, um, and so if if they caught somebody hooning, being a hoon, what's um, a hoon? What what is that? Just just someone out doing stupid shit in their car, doing donuts and drag oh, racing okay, and yeah. stuff like that. You know, is there a word um, for that in America? Yeah. Just I don't know. Uh, There's no word like hoon. Hoon. It's no. Uh, yeah. They're, like a, you know, a word for um, people doing dumb stuff with their cars. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's a word for it. It's called the daily commute. <laughs> it's called, yeah. it's, called, it's called our insane car culture here in America, <laughs> which is um, causing global warming. It's called uh, ghost riding the whip. Yeah, ghost riding the whip. Um, or the uh, slightly more racist uh, term uh, for that uh, when I was growing up, was it was known as a Chinese fire drill. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, what they were doing with with these these people was like when they were booking them for, for, you know, speeding or whatever under these anti-hooning laws. Getting hooned up. They would then make somebody watch as they took their like modified high performance sports car and crushed it into a cube in front of them. And then they could take, (laughs) (laughs) then you could have the cube. Oh, God. That's, I that's, always thought, I was like, that's pretty rough. That's It is pretty rough. <laughs> and we're taking away your toys, too, and running a bulldozer over them. I mean, yeah, like, I, that, that is wild, because, you know, even, even if you were, like, you know, prosecuting someone for, uh, you know, like, uh, driving into a school bus while they were drunk in America, the idea that, you know, you would uh, also destroy their, you know, a beautiful uh, vintage car it would be, you know, unspeakable. That's it. Taking your property, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so anyway, we had this this plebiscite, which turned into actually a like non-binding, non-mandatory postal survey. 
Um, and basically, uh, queer people in this country just had to endure a whole bunch of really shitty public debate over whether or not they, uh, I guess, deserve to be recognized as first-class citizens, you know? Um, and then there was a particular substrain of this, which was people who came out and said, I'm a big ally to the gay community, but I'm not sure if they should have the same rights as me. Um, which was obviously met with people saying, shut the fuck up, you bigot. Um, which then produced this special strain of op-ed from people like Caroline Marcus, in which she, um, she was dismayed with the fact that people had been rude to her and this made her think that maybe she wasn't on board with equality after all. Mm. She was absolutely on board with equality right up until the point that someone spoke rudely to her. Well, uh, I saw a, a similar take in, uh, you know, U.S.-based um, conservative, uh, you know, sewer pipe, uh, The Federalist, my personal favorite um, conservative uh, news outlet or opinion outlet, um, and it was from a uh, conservative gay man who said that um, everything I was told to fear about coming out as gay earlier in my life is now true for coming out as a uh, conservative. <laughs> I saw oh, this. That was incredible. In fact, being a conservative is, uh, in fact, uh, more difficult uh, than being gay in, in a contemporary American society, which led to, uh, like, you know, someone else... Uh, sympathetic to the uh, the piece sharing it and then just asking the question is being conservative the new gay uh to which i responded uh yes yes it is being a conservative is very gay yes um so caroline's part of caroline's take from this about being very offended by somebody was um uh, so they they think that that it's like dirty tricks to say look you either think that gay gay people are just normal people or you don't that's pretty much that's pretty much what it boils down to, you know. Mm. Uh, so she says, look, I say this as someone who is sympathetic to the same-sex marriage cause, someone already mentally planning the outfits that'll be best to tear up the dance floor at the mm. fabulous future weddings of her <laughs> gay friends. My goodness. But if the dirty tricks we've seen since the plebiscite was first tabled at the end of last year continue, activists are almost sure to push many, like me, into the negative column. Yeah, no, this is a very popular genre, and it's getting more and more popular uh, with um, conservatives in America who uh, were very anti-Donald Trump, but now that they realize that there's really no money in that and that, like, you know, there's only one show in town, are having to, you know, sort of uh, find a way to cleverly back themselves into just being like, "Uh, you know what, I've been very critical of him, but actually you're forcing me to uh, support Donald Trump and all of the things he does that I normally wouldn't agree with. Mm. But um, actually, uh, you've been so mean to me that I think uh, putting children in uh, privately run detention centers is uh, good. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, It's actually you left us refusing to respect the dignity of the president's office that is Mm. forcing me to support the man himself. It's the swear words that made me not want other people to have rights. Uh, Caroline says... This gives me pause for thought, even as an atheist and someone who has supported the gay community to the point of once dancing on a float at Mardi Gras. I'm sure they all thanked you for your your brave. Mardi Gras isn't like a a gay holiday. Oh, yeah. It is in Australia. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so Australia has the the Sydney Mardi Gras, which is just a a gigantic um, hyper gay parade through the city. 
Um, I think that's a that's a reasonable description, right? It is <laughs> super gay. Didn't realize that wasn't like universal. What I mean, Mardi oh, Gras is just like a big like you know decadent uh, uh, p- party or whatever, and I'm sure there's well, the, you know yeah, there's uh, like New Orleans Mardi. Gras. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's yeah. you know probably gay elements to it, but I, I never knew of Mardi Gras as like a specifically uh, gay mm. parade or holiday. Oh, it's it's like the the gay culture thing for for the year in Australia. I so think. she was brave enough to uh, be on a float with gay people. Brave mm. enough to dance with her gay friends. Um, she says, I personally know wonderful same-sex couples who are lovingly raising children, and the last thing I would wish to do is hurt them. I love to just wrap it up on a little threat that if, you, if you're if you not completely nice to me the whole time, yeah. I'm gonna have to vote against you having basic human rights, mm. and it uh, won't be on me. Uh, yeah. It won't be on me. I know, I know many wonderful same-sex couples. It would be a shame if something bad happened to them. <laughs> That's right. Nice rights. I am, uh, be a shame way, if someone took them away. I'm going to lay five rights out on the table. And every time you're rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did look up uh, Caroline uh, Marcus in a fat suit, though, and I'm, uh, I'm looking at it uh, right now. Do you like what Car- you see? Awooga! <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, start your engines. Uh, I'm actually uh, a little disappointed because I was hoping it would be like, a, uh, yeah, like the Clumps or Gwyneth Paltrow in that shallow, shallow, shallow Howl movie. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not really like that. And she did say, um, I'm naturally slim. And while I take pride in my appearance, try to eat well and exercise, I underestimated the self-worth I had tied up in my looks. Wow. Did you really, weird. Caroline? Did you really? Love uh, someone whose entire aesthetic is weather girl. Um, somehow managed to forget that that's her whole deal. Um, so we've also got we've also got columnists like um, Pierce Ackerman, oh. lovingly known on the show as uh, for in a term that Lucy coined, penis Wackerman. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> got him. Very got him. Yeah, penis Wackerman. You done? He he writes absolutely cooked stuff in both uh, the Australian and. The Australian version of the Spectator. Oh, I love, I love, I love the British version of the Spectator. Oh, that's great. Which has uh, great articles like, uh, "Why don't we talk about the real heroes of the Normandy invasion?" The Wehrmacht who is defending the beaches. <laughs> <laughs> okay, seriously, that was you... actually a real article in the Spectator. Oh, no. that's not. I didn't make that up. That's that was a real article by that tacky guy in the, oh, the British God. Spectator. Well, if you if you like the spectator, but you think to yourself, what if they took the subtlety down a few points and really cranked up the racism dial? Then the Australian <laughs> version of the spectator is for you. Um, All right, Pierce Ackerman wrote a piece in there called uh, "Love Is Love, Boys," in which uh, he demanded that the male homosexual community apologize for um, all of the pedophiles throughout history. Oh. Wow. Dude, I fucking dude, I I so wish they would fucking apologize for that. It's just it's it long, was, it's long overdue. Well, it was this was based on like the the outcomes of this royal commission into like the the response to institutionalized uh, sexual abuse basically. So it was this this long long-term wide-ranging royal commission into uh like just all all the people who had been abused in Catholic churches and orphanages and foster homes and by the Salvation Army and all this sort of thing. And it was a thing that it took a while to get established, but once it did, it it just got like, you know, 30,000 submissions of people coming out and saying, 
please, I would like for there to be some justice about this thing that happened to me. Pierce is one of these people who vehemently fought against this as like a purely political point scoring exercise that was just intended to like damage the Catholic Church, you know. So when this thing came out, when the results came out of all these people saying, uh, you know, yeah, some dude abused me when I was younger. He was like, ah, every person who uh, has been abused, you know, by some power imbalance by a man, it's because of the gays. Clearly, the gays are the ones who should be apologizing for yeah, this. Yeah, whenever I see these uh, these people coming forward to, you know, uh, share stories about how they were um, yeah, abused and raped by uh, men in authority, and when, you know, like, and people come out and they're like, uh, I think that's bad, uh, that's virtue signaling to me. Yeah. You're just trying to score points. But he wrote, he wrote what is one of our all-time favorite takes, which was um, him defending an Australian uh, army unit that was photographed flying a big Nazi flag from their vehicle while on operations in Afghanistan. Wow. You know, I mean, it was a tribute to uh, the Desert Fox, Rommel, one of the good Nazis. That's, that's it. Uh, so this article was titled, An Orwellian Army and ABC False Flags. And of course, ABC being the, the state broadcaster here, as opposed to... Uh-huh. Uh, your ABC. So it's an or, or, or like it's Orwellian that the army. It's it's Orwellian that they chose to cast people flying a Nazi flag as a negative thing. Yeah, but I it's guess. like <laughs> yeah, but it's the army, and there are like you know uh, regulations and co- I mean you know everyone has to wear a uniform. That's pretty uh, Orwellian. But like also like the Nazis were like the major enemy of like the largest war in human history that like people who are still alive today like fought in i mean well yeah but have you considered all right let's let's see what pierce has to say about why they might why you shouldn't be so quick to rush to rush to judgment you know who amongst us hasn't flown a large nazi flag at our job uh Pierce says, according to fevered reports on RABC, Australian soldiers have been photographed flying a Nazi flag from their vehicle while on operations in Afghanistan. The photograph shows the large swastika emblem hoisted over an Australian military vehicle, the newsreader recounted breathlessly. A source claimed it flew for a prolonged period. Wow. Maybe our troops were just trying to confuse the Islamist enemy? (laughs) After all, they sided with the Nazis during World War II. Incredibly, these agitated reports led news bulletins on a day during a week in which a historic meeting between a US president and a North Korean despot took place. A number of state budgets were handed down and there was no shortage of genuine news. Oh, fuck, I forgot how galaxy brain that take was. Oh, it gets, it gets better, though. Tying the military forces to a fascist flag would have excited the non-gender-specific persons at the ABC. It's very... Yeah. Very normal. Very normal. Yet just a fortnight ago, the same shonky news organization gave hours of advertising free coverage to the wedding of an individual who also affected Nazi regalia, Prince Harry. And there wasn't a word from the ABC (laughs) uh, who had flown to the Windsor knees up about his misdemeanor. Harry was only 20 when he turned up at a private party wearing Nazi insignia in 2005. He wouldn't have been much younger than the blokes who thought it was a bit of a joke to tie the swastika to the aerial of their troop carrier, but they had their pay docked and were subjected to army discipline. Okay, uh, two things about that. Uh, uh, you know, the Prince Harry thing, um, that was a pretty big controversy. But I have to say, if you are British, 
um, dressing up like a Nazi to go to some weird fucking party is sort of like their culture. And, um, you know, their royal family is German, so I, I think they should be allowed to do it. But also, uh, there, there is a slight bit of a difference uh, to um, wearing a swastika as part of like, a, you know, a, you know, a Halloween party or something like that. And literally flying one as you're part of an armed forces, like in like in, in the middle of a war. Yeah. You know, it's like well, one implies like, you know, something a little bit stronger than the other. Yeah. And I love the sort of the there's always the the implicit suggestions here that like, well, everybody was fine with Harry wearing a Nazi uniform. Were it's we like, though? no, <laughs> no, they, they weren't. weren't. Yeah, yeah. They weren't fine with it then, you know. Um he was just a lad with and with that sad family history he was cut a lot of slack not our frontline soldiers however no skylarking for these battle stressed heroes oh, <laughs> again i love the idea i i don't know about you guys but i love just letting off a bit of steam by going over to my footlocker and getting out my biggest nazi flag that i took overseas with me packed and it specifically packed away my stuff me and my whole squad all agree Everyone to a man that we should put this Nazi flag on our armored personnel carrier. Yep. I also uh, I also really like his idea that like maybe they were just trying to confuse the enemy by being (laughs) like, oh wait, these are our allies. (laughs) Because you know, yeah, like the we all remember, you know, the these Pashtun tribesmen were a big part of the Axis during World War II. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, and of course, there's so many. Nazi troops getting around in Afghanistan at the moment that they would be like, oh, here comes another, here comes another Nazi unit that we're so well acquainted with. Um, this is where it gets Orwellian from Pierce's point of view. Um, he quotes from a report that says the personnel involved were immediately cautioned at the time and subsequently received further counselling. Additionally, steps were taken to reinforce education and training for all personnel who witnessed the flag. Pierce says. How you can unsee what you've just seen is beyond me, but in this Orwellian age of memory holes, maybe the Australian Defence Force takes its lead from the University of Sydney, where they now teach the unlearning of their gender-free, politically correct campus. Why does he keep going back to this, like, gender stuff? Like, what is... Oh, it's just, we love like it. Our, our columnists are really obsessed with that. We it's love like, it. Regardless of what it's about, it's like, what if these people were trans? Yep. Uh, they're they're extre- they're all extremely caught up about like uh, yeah like it's, it's not so much that it's like you know these uh you know or- Orwellian uh you know Big Brother or whatever you know making everyone uh I don't know uh, two plus two equals five or whatever like yeah they're like um what if they also made uh, Winston Smith um, trans in that book what if that was in Room One Hundred One did you ever think about that exactly. <laughs> The gender-free campus. Yeah, gender sickos. Under the current military leadership, our men aren't even expected to show a bit of testosterone. Too masculine, you know. Well, nothing says manly to me, like going over to my footlocker, pulling out my largest Nazi flag. Uh, They have to do a little role-playing in their training. Uh, Imagine you're a woman. Imagine you're a minority. Imagine you're weak. Just don't think you're a real soldier. Um, what was truly sickening about the ABC's excited reports of the flag-flying business was the haste with which Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull provided a smarmy quote run with the fake news. The soldier's conduct, he said, was completely and utterly unacceptable. 
How anyone who never served and probably never heard a shot fired in anger could have the audacity to offer more than the most general view of activities which took place on a battlefield is bewildering. He sounded like a green. <laughs> By saying this conduct, it's a bit unacceptable. Wow. Radical. Gender fluid radicals. I... I love the the parts of this that make him the maddest are someone saying, uh, I reckon flying the Nazi flag from our military vehicles is not on. Uh, And also this part, um, Turnbull may have been taking his lead from the newish chief of army, Angus Campbell, who shortly after taking office showed he was prepared to play upwards to his political masters and knock down to his troops with an order banning soldiers' use of death-style imagery such as Spartan warriors, the Grim Reaper, Skull and Crossbones, and the Punisher vigilante character. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was Chris Kyle's whole thing. He loved the, the fucking Punisher logo. Yep, sticking the old punisher. You know, like that uh, the 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 superhero that got famous uh, for literally executing like muggers. Yep, just indiscriminately murdering. (laughs) Makes sense now. Yep. So, Um, so I mean, I'm sorry. Just like the other thing I find very weird about this whole thing is like, okay, isn't the whole point of like, you know, being in a uh, military unit that um, you're supposed to be able like to be identified um, by. Because, like, if they were, you know, driving around with, like, uh, you know, an American flag, like, wouldn't that actually cause problems for, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah like, wouldn't that be, like... So. I mean, obviously, like, you know, the Nazi flag is its own thing, but, like, if they were just... I don't know, why don't they, why don't they just literally wear the uniforms of another ar- uh, army while they're at it? You can't do that, right? That's, like, against the, the yeah, rules, I assume. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's against the rules. And, um, yeah, so we're, and there are tons of military rules about flags. They, they fucking love flags. There's, only, there's the, the, you know, the correct way to fold them. You can't let them touch the ground. You know, everyone's got to have the right, you know, heraldry or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, your the Nazi flag, uh, aside from the obvious moral implications, I think is just a bad um, battle tactics, in my opinion. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Lieutenant General Campbell said that the use of these uh, these symbols, such as the Punisher vigilante character, uh, were, quote, always ill-considered, and they implicitly encouraged the inculcation of an arrogant hubris and general disregard for the most serious responsibility of our profession, the legitimate and discriminate taking of life. So this, this as a concept, makes Pierce very mad. The idea that, like... They should give some consideration to how they present themselves to the people in territory they're occupying and that they should take seriously the idea that they might have to kill someone. Mm. Um, You don't want them thinking about it too much, you know? Um, And, of course, he goes on to quote uh, General H.R. McMaster's lament that postmodern Western notions of war now spurn the mainly masculine literature and poetry of the ages that give meaning to a warrior's soul and uphold the sanctity of self-sacrifice for a greater good. Uh, McMaster, he said, cautions that soldiers must continue to view war as a challenge and as their duty, not as trauma. All right. Because, well, as we all know, we're like, we don't give a shit about uh, trauma. Yeah, you know the, uh, the veterans, veterans, but fuck yeah, veterans. I love all yeah. the uh, all the masculine things like drinking beer, arm wrestling, getting golf war syndrome. Yep, all those very normal things. <clears throat> all those great works of uh, epic poetry that uh, you know stir the souls of warriors back throughout the time. You know, from the mm-hmm. Iliad to uh, the Turner Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> So um, so we thought we'd give you one more here from uh, one of our favorites, 
uh, Miranda Devine, who I think is probably the closest parallel to like Rod Dreher, mm. um, in that she's she's very Catholic and often manages to make whatever she's talking about about that, um, but somehow manages to do it without ever having any kind of like any of the morality of the church accidentally get into what she's saying. <laughs> um, one of her one of her takes that um that I liked was that you know the the Grenfell Tower disaster in London. Oh, absolutely. That that inspired uh, one of Meghan McArdle's uh, most brilliant um yeah, most brilliant pieces of all time. Oh, was that I'm trying to remember that. Yeah, one. the Meghan similar? McArdle Grenfell Tower one was like she was like, we shouldn't be so quick to like, you know, point fingers about like, you know, what regulations like could or couldn't have prevented a oh, disaster yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like, let's say uh, that place wasn't an unregulated death trap. Uh, those people could have died in a car accident on their way home from work. You oh, know, so who's cool. to say like they mm -hmm. wouldn't have died another way. So like so more than that, who's to say who's really responsible? Certainly yeah, not, not the government. Yeah, best just to not Dr think about it. <laughs> Drunk driving's bad, but it gets a lot of people to work in exactly. the Exactly. So, yeah. Used to say. Um, no, so the, one of her takes about that was um, innocence burnt in the flames of green ideology, uh, in which she claimed that you can't overlook the deadly green ideas that contributed to the tragic Grenfell Tower fire. Uh -huh. uh, she she thinks that um, it was the fact that they had you know applied insulation to the building to to make it more um, uh, energy uh, efficient. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, make it more energy efficient. That was the issue, as opposed to say um, you know using the absolute cheapest materials in the worst possible way to do it. I don't know if maybe maybe capitalism and uh, landlords might have had something to do with that, as opposed to just the idea that we should be trying to live more sustainably but that actually reminds me that um i'm pretty sure that uh trump has in the past or even recently come out as being pro asbestos that's right oh, yeah, he, he thinks his buildings aren't, aren't as good without asbestos in them wow. well he thinks he thinks that it was like a mob conspiracy to he thinks that like the the mafia ran the asbestos removal. Well, they did for sure. They convinced everybody it was bad. Oh, okay, yeah, no, like I mean, obviously in New York City real estate, um, it's all you know fucking corrupt, and the the in the building and construction trades, you know, the, the mafia is going to have something to do with it. But yeah, no, no, Trump thinks that literally the idea that asbestos causes cancer is was invented by the mob. <laughs> no, and then he's just like, he thinks his buildings like aren't as classy and good without being like, you know, packed to the gills with asbestos. That's a bold take. I like it. It's, it's a very bold take. I think, um, so I think that our favorite, uh, our favorite take from Miranda Devine that we found on this show is about an incident that occurred, um, I think last year in, in the midst of like that particularly public spate of of cop killings in the states um so a lot of i mean i know there's always a lot of unarmed people being killed by the police over there but it was just a real string of like it was just happening multiple times a week and very very public and one of those incidents was a an australian woman who got shot um by a cop so so miranda has written an article uh blaming a white woman in a white Australian woman in America being shot while unarmed 
by a police officer. She has chosen to apportion blame for that incident to Black Lives Matter. Mm. And mm. it's... Go on. <laughs> you may so think that's a stretch, but uh, let's, <laughs> let's read on. Let's look at the facts. So the article titled, A Black Cop Killed an Australian White Woman. How does that fit the Black Lives Matter mm. narrative? Well, it was, uh, it was almost certainly retaliation. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he was trying to even the score. <laughs> she begins, uh, How a sweet, blonde Australian yoga teacher in her pajamas came to be shot dead by American police outside her home in an Oh, she was actually, suburb. she was in a fat suit at the time. <laughs> That's why she was shot. Ah, oh, she's less valuable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, in Minneapolis is a mystery to, that her family desperately wants answered. So do we all. But what we can safely assume is that Justine Damon's death was made more likely by an anti-police atmosphere whipped up in the US by the anarchic Black Lives Matter or BLM movement. Over the past three years, BLM activists and complicit media and politicians have incited a wave of ambushes and assassinations of police, which have made officers feel on edge and under siege and more prone to make tragic mistakes. Oh, fuck. I hate it when I hold all the power in society and everybody just worships at my feet and I can do whatever I want and I can kill people without even like most of the time without even going to trial. Oh, it most just makes the, me feel so anxious. Most of the time without getting your pay docked, you know. In some police departments, diversity trumps all other considerations, mm. including public safety. I feel like that's Does it? categorically untrue. Does it? I mean, like, look, people can get killed out there, but as long as you're killing the, the right mix of races, mm. do it fine. in a woke way. Uh, she says, the dishonest narrative pushed by BLM is that America's police forces are riven with systemic racism against innocent, unarmed black men. Well, I mean, that's part of the larger um, campaign, you know, propaganda campaign to claim yeah. that America itself and, you know, history in general is also riven with systemic racism. It doesn't sound right. Is there anything in you? Did you guys do anything earlier that nothing, nothing in the past of America that maybe? Well, yeah, no, the past. That's, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Things in the past are, you know, like that's. Like dead people, uh, you know, aren't do doing racism now. They're dead, and you know that's that's gone. And yeah. things that happened in the past don't affect the present or the future at all. Which is good. Yeah. Well, only if you let it, you know. Exactly. I mean, I, I by by having a, a chip on your shoulder about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. You can choose to be positive. You know, you can you can choose your <laughs> destiny by how you view the world. It's all about positivity. You know. Yeah. About those Instagram success memes. Exactly. Um, but, hey, hey, checkmate BLM, because check this out. The facts say otherwise. And in any case, the officer who shot Justine was black. Oh, my God. No way. Justine was by all accounts a gentle, kind person who had moved from Sydney's northern beaches to the U.S. three years ago to marry the love of her life, Don Damon. Which is <laughs> a great name. Oh God, no! I, should, I shouldn't laugh now that he's been a you know. It's widowed, either it's but... either Don Don Damon or Don Demond, and both of those are, are yeah. Good. Both those are good names. He was away on business on Saturday night when she called nine one one to report a woman screaming in the alley behind their house. When the patrol car arrived, Justine Forty went to talk to the officers, and Nora allegedly reached across from the passenger seat and shot her several times. So, uh -huh. so again, the actual reporting about this is she called the cops. They turned up and she came running out of her house and ran over to the window of the police car to talk to them. 
so the cop sitting on the opposite side has just immediately drawn his gun and fired point blank into her chest several times without that is the first thing that happened right because you know like if you're a cop um and someone sort of uh you know in a a panicked or frantic state uh, approaches you um you you gotta fucking kill or be killed because when when would that happen as a as a police officer uh, if they're not other than you're trying they're trying to kill you Mm. yeah your life is in immediate danger (laughs) the important takeaway of this is not that like oh cops can kill indiscriminately and there's this other group of people who have been indiscriminately killed by cops um who are sick of it um i think the takeaway is something about um black people having an opinion is that right andrew i don't well she also manages to tie in that um that the cop that shot uh justine damon was hired as part of a diversity drive, so there's the Oof, nice, yeah, nice suggestion in there that maybe if they weren't forced to fill quotas, that this incompetent cop wouldn't have shot this lady. Uh, he um, can't. He was um, he was hired because he did a lot of funny sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Noor, the cop who who shot her, was hired less than a year after the riots in Ferguson, Missouri, which launched BLM and set off the catastrophic chain of events which culminated in Saturday night's tragedy. I I really like how throughout this entire narrative, like, you know, BLM has just sprung up out of nowhere and and started hassling all these cops. And I guess the police just it's nothing. They, they don't really have a part in this. There wasn't anything noteworthy or worth mentioning at any point of this, other than bad things have happened to a, to cops as a result of BLM existing. No sort of rumination on uh, well, why. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just sick of uh, Black Lives Matter killing all those people and getting away with it, though. That's that is it. Well, uh, BLM has never admitted that their entire movement is built on a lie. The facts have never mattered to the BLM crowd. <laughs> They won't acknowledge that black Americans are more likely to kill cops than be killed by cops, according to FBI data. Facts don't matter because all the riots and violent protests are about asserting victimhood for another identity group. In a leaked internal document last year, the FBI explicitly blamed BLM and the media for the increase in attacks. Quote, law enforcement officials believe that defiance and hostility displayed by assailants towards law enforcement appear to be the new norm, read the report. America's first black president, Barack Obama, was complicit. He and his black attorneys general, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch and the rest of the American left encouraged the backlash against police. Hey, you remember when uh, Obama was up there asking for people to go out and shoot cops? He did say that. Uh, Let me be clear. I've uh, (laughs) got my sword off. Oh, uh, about to dust some cops off. Uh, so, um, as police were targeted, they began to withdraw from communities. And of course, the people most at risk when police withdraw are the poor and vulnerable in crime-ridden black communities. And now an Australian has fallen victim. A black cop killing an unarmed white woman does not fit the narrative pushed by BLM activists. It, it, it absolutely does. <laughs> 
This is her closing line, though. A black cop killing an unarmed white woman does not fit the narrative pushed by BLM activists, but they may as well have pulled the trigger. <laughs> Jesus oh, <wow>. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Um, Go on. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, yeah. the, the, the cop himself actually did pull the trigger. And, like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the narrative here is what? That, like, you know, all, like, many, many cops in America are trigger happy psychos who shouldn't be fucking given a gun and a license to kill. Yeah, the whole the like the the whole narrative if you want to zoom out to the macro is police keep shooting unarmed people despite them not doing anything. Mm. And she likes cites a textbook case of exactly what people are talking about and says, "Ah, a cop shot an unarmed woman who was asking for help." Um and and of course it's the classic thing of when they've gone through the when they've gone through the process of you know, looking into this afterwards, the guy said, I was petrified and fearful for my life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, as know. long as you can, yeah, as long as you can just say that, that I was afraid for my life, you can do anything. Yeah. Why are the um, cops so skittish over here? What's the deal? Well, it's the BLM activists that are everywhere. Oh, On every street corner, obviously. waiting Well, they're to constantly out. afraid of, for their lives. Mm. Yes. Um, some of Miranda Devine's other hits include uh, claiming that that whole royal commission into people being abused was a, was a big uh, sting by the government to damage the catholic church who have never done anything wrong oh and distract from the um it was a big victorian crime uh stuff as well oh uh, yeah the one to, we picked up the other day to distract from the the african crime menace <laughs> Yeah, what the government did essentially was create this massive like honeypot program where they got all these just like hot fucking sexy boys and just like, <laughs> you know, Sent put them, put them all the out there to seduce these uh, these priests because they knew Warriors that in, you know, 40 or 50 years time, it would cause a huge controversy. Well, um, so she's she's top quality stuff. She has an absolutely nuked brain and somehow is still still just paid to write this stuff. Uh, she has a she has a podcast, right? Which um Who doesn't because, yeah. because of the age of her audience is like um marketed as like live internet radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I don't know if you saw this, but um uh Alex Nichols uh Lowen Option did a piece in uh, the outline about uh are you know these the, the, the diamond and silk those two mm -hmm. women, do you know oh, them? Yeah, yeah, Scammers. Yeah. They're these two like a uh, 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 black women who have like have had this fantastic grift of being like the pro Trump ladies and like the you know, for like the huge on Facebook. Actually, they're not even that big on Facebook, but they literally testified uh, before Congress so, in this country so about good. internet censorship. <laughs> and Alex uh, watched uh, their a, a movie they just uh, you know produced and starred in called Dummy Crats. And oh, you, you guys were you guys were talking on the show about that, like having to buy it over. Yeah, Vimeo yeah, you can only shit. get it on Vimeo. You can only buy it for seventeen ninety nine uh, on Vimeo, and like all of the comments on Vimeo are just bewildered old people who just like they're like, "Where's my movie?" When, <laughs> like I can't, I don't know. It's been I haven't got it in the mail. Like they're just yeah, they don't know about like watching a movie on the computer, uh, and uh, but like no one's asking for their money back either. Well, you know, just just happy to stand with Diamond and Silk. Yep. Just want to support you, you know. Against those dummy crats. So, um, we thought we might take a quick trip over to Menica Movie Corner. Let's do it. And ask you one or two one or two movie questions from uh from our listeners. Um friend of the show, Alaric Powell, asks, with neo fascism making its way across America, will Hollywood go back to the eighties and crank out movies celebrating fascist tropes? 
like the Rambo sequels, or is Hollywood too scared to do that now lest they be chastised for not being liberal? Or are they already pumping out fashion movies that I'm unaware of? Um, I mean, obviously, uh, I would say Hollywood... Like, you know, if you look at things like uh, American Sniper or Zero Dark Thirty, I would say, yeah, they definitely are pumping out movies that are like literal propaganda for, you know, our grotesque military and fucking CIA. However, as far as like the the very specific aesthetic of like the fascist 80s action movie, I don't think that's coming back for a variety of reasons. One, I think they're, yeah, they probably would get more pushback on like the woke factor if they just made another movie where like Charles Bronson is just, you know, <laughs> shooting Black Lives Matter thugs on the streets of New York or whatever. Well, but there was the Death Wish remake. Yeah, year, but like no, nobody fucking saw that. Yeah, it sucked really bad. There was yeah. a bit of pushback when it was announced. Like the trailer came out and people were like, ooh, but, really? But way more, way more substantial than like whatever uh, woke backlash they would get. I, I think it's just like uh, economically and structurally Hollywood just doesn't make like mid-level, like mid-budget R-rated movies anymore. So like, mm. like, like it's either like, you know, it has to cost like $200 million and there has to be like lasers and fucking superheroes in it or based on like a really well-known media property already. It's just like that, that niche of like the, the R-rated like, you know, hard-bodied, you know, gleaming muscles, homoerotic fascist uh, gun movies. Uh, like, like, they don't make, they don't make R-rated movies at that budget anymore. Or, or like, or that kind of action movie. And I, uh, I, I wish they'd bring it back, you know? <clears throat> well, as far as the sort of, I guess that, um, the, you know, similar to the Death Wish type thing, that's sort of never really gone away as far as like, you know, movies like Taken and yeah. just just the, the male power fantasy. What if someone did something to your female property and you had to murder them <laughs> um, kind of shit? Like uh, there, was, there was that other one called uh, Death Sentence, the Kevin Bacon one that was, I think, might have even been based off the, the book that Death Wish was based on. It was like a James Wan movie. But like, uh, I don't think... I don't think a lot of those, uh, I think they are purely like male power fantasy. I don't think they're rooted in the same socio-political yeah, stuff because, that brought on things like Dirty Harry and Death. Yeah, like the, like the, the, like the, the classic 80s action era of like, you know, Stallone and Schwarzenegger was like very much a, like, you know, in the context of uh, Reagan basically restarting the Cold War and, uh, you know, having monolithic Soviet communism was like, you know, um, that was a big threat again, but it was also very important that like all those movies consciously or otherwise were also about like sort of reworking the American experience in the Vietnam War and sort of like Rambo literally refights the Vietnam War and wins it for America. And like, yeah. I, th I think most of those movies are like f from a very specific um place and time that doesn't really make sense anymore but like overall i think like you know they're always going to find you know ways to channel i don't think consciously quite so much right wing like the way those movies were like actually made and written by like right wingers and stallone even like wrote that whole awful line about how like the real war was at home you know when the, the war being fought against the soldiers who fought in vietnam and shit like that um I think I don't think that kind of like overt uh, right wing uh, fantasia 
will, would work anymore or make sense in, in this context. But consciously or not, I, I think Hollywood will always find a way to make movies that uh, valorize, you know, violence, uh, authority, male power and uh, the gun. Yeah, I feel like it's morphed, though, into something a lot more... It's just morphed into, like, this... The really generic Peter Berg movie kind of thing of, like, just... Yeah, yeah. Just, just kissing the flag and having, like, Taylor Kitsch go, ah, oh, being a Marine is the greatest honor in the world. <laughs> it's just a kiss, right? Like, There's no penetration. Yeah, but, like, yeah, the, yeah, it's, but like it's, the thing is, that like, those Peter Berg movies, like, they... they there's an attempt there to be like to, to really portray like the valor of combat and then they don't have any of that deliriously funny and insane like 80s action movie where it's just like 30 guys standing in a row all firing guns at Arnold and missing and then him just mowing them all down with a fucking like uh, belt fed machine gun yeah just swinging the barrel of it back and forth <laughs> yeah. somehow hitting everybody yeah yeah I mean unfortunately I think um, yeah those glory days uh, are gone and like, and, and if they came back, it would, have to, it would be like a self-conscious attempt to like do a pastiche or reference of those kinds of movies. But like I said, I just don't think like structurally in Hollywood, like they make those kind of R-rated movies anymore. Hmm. Um, and we got time for one more. Yeah, sure. Got, uh, friend of the show, Anders Russell says, uh, trans-Tasman film Deathmatch, the catalog of Peter Jackson versus the catalog of George Miller. Ooh. Okay, I I love Peter Jackson's uh early movies like, you know, uh, Brain Dead and uh B Bad Taste and I even love his, some of his like early American movies, uh The Frighteners, I loved. Frighteners is good. Jake I, Busey's giant teeth up in there. Yeah, I love I love Jake Busey and The Frighteners. Um Peter Jackson's done some uh I I, I like Heavenly Creatures a lot too. Yeah, like his uh, serious movie. However, I just I got to give it to George Miller in this, just based on their recent output, because like Peter Jackson has become like an like the, the making three Hobbit movies, which were just all unbearable. I don't like even the Lord of the Rings movies. I don't think are very good outside outside like the first hour of the first one, and George Miller just came out and did probably the best Hollywood action movie in the last 20 10 to 20 years probably like the the best he, pure spectacle action movie uh, maybe i've ever seen well like uh, i think i would also give a lot of points to george miller i mean he's he's made you know other stuff like quite sort of interesting variety of stuff uh he made like babe yeah babe um and like Happy Feet and shit like that, and also made all the Mad Max movies. I, w I will give him a whole ton of points, all the points in the world, for doing the Mad Max movies and doing something which I think is, is an almost unparalleled feat in cinema, which is to, to create a, you know, a, a unique concept in the first place. Uh, to make the original Mad Max movie, you know, clearly a very low budget kind of thing. And then with each successive installation in that series to really like expand the universe successfully and continue to make it like a more interesting and more polished and more developed version of his sort of original vision. Yeah. I think so, so many people like the sequels collapse in on themselves, they get bigger and then it's like too much strain for the plot or whatever. Um, obviously Mad Max has helped out a lot by having a 
you know, very simple plots a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, what? I, what yeah. Well, like what I was so impressed by with uh, with Fury Road is like, you know, when I was a kid, uh, Road Warrior was like one of my favorite movies. And uh, particularly like the, the, the last scene in Road Warrior, like the big car chase where he, they drive the gasoline tanker just straight into the desert and all like the, you know, leather daddy motorcycle punks are chasing them. And like that sequence like just blew me away. Like it was probably like the last half hour or so of that movie. And then in Fury Road, he was just what if he was just like, what if I made that the whole movie? And he did it, and it was like fucking like basically like I nobody has done a movie like that. Yeah, I think you know to, again to compare to Peter Jackson. I think that I've I've said this frequently about Peter Jackson. You look at the creativity that went into his early movies with low budgets, and then the more and more money he's got, the more unable he is to sort of control any impulses. And just layers absolutely everything into every movie and makes it fucking four hours long. And it's too much. There's no longer any kind of control. Whereas, like with Fury Road, you can look at someone who's got tons of resources and a huge budget and can do whatever you want, but has crafted all of that into a really compelling, streamlined movie. And really weird movie, too. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's the thing that stands out. Like, the more money you spend on something... Like categorically, the the less weird it has to be because people are invested, right? Like you know, oh, this is we can't take risks. You know, this is uh, people won't watch it if we make it super weird. And he's just made a really weird movie full of really weird people for a, a shitload of money. Mm. I just think you know, uh, uh, Peter Jackson. And I don't want to be too hard on him, but like he, he does just. He he suffers so badly from his just like the, the dreck that he's been doing over the last ten fifteen years. Well, we were just talking on another episode about. Um, I was saying that I think the the Lord of the Rings movies are aging worse and worse the further we get from them. They really are. They fucking they don't look good. Like I said, the first no. hour of the first movie, I thought was very good, but just the more fucking CGI there is, it's just it it does not hold up at all. I was I was saying that the um you know some of the, the like huge battles at the end of the second and third one, to me now they just watch like uh, the end of Matrix Revolutions with yep. Neo fighting a million agents. <laughs> yep. Smiths, you know, I'm just like it's not it does it doesn't hold up doesn't hold up. Whereas Fury Road, like all of that were re- all of that was basically real driving and real stunts, almost all yep. of it. Well, it was it was the perfect uh, the perfect thing you're supposed to do, which is take take some real actors and real stunts and real stats and stuff like that, and use your special effects to sort of layer on Paint and enhance yeah, yeah. that, as opposed to just say I'm going to substitute the entire frame with this stuff. I, I always remember watching like a a um, little bit of one of the behind the scenes things from the Star Wars prequels. It might have been in one of those like red letter media, like huge breakdowns of the prequels that they did. And they had this clip from from one of the behind the scenes things. And it was all these guys like proudly talking about uh, Revenge of the Sith and how like it oh it has more shots in it that are like 100% CGI than any movie ever before and like everything in this frame is CGI and everything in this scene is CGI and it's like no well, it turns out that sucks it turns out it's not good uh, especially again the further you get away from stuff like just from that mid 2000s era yeah. it's not a good time so are we are we collectively declaring George Miller the winner I think so he did babe right. 
He's yeah. obviously the winner. <laughs> it's a good film. Uh, Witches of Eastwick was oh. a George Miller joint, uh, which is also just a very weird movie. Wait, he did Witches of Eastwick? Yeah, the one with uh, Jack Nicholson and... Oh, no, that's... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Witches of Eastwick. I'm thinking of The Witches, which actually Nicholas Rogue directed, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a weird one. Um, it's uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on the based the on Roald the Roald Dahl book. Yeah, yeah. That is one absolutely one of those movies that like I remember seeing very young. Oh, I and saw it in the theater and it terrified me. That's scary. Oh yeah. No, we watched it again recently and we're just like, no, this is still fucking terrifying. Um, very like when everybody's morphing into the rats and all that kind mm. of shit. No good. Just scary stuff. It's real shit. Uh, but The Witches of Eastwick is also kind of confusable with um, uh, Death Becomes Death Her. Death Becomes Her. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the other one I was thinking of. Very, very similar posters. Um, but you do have Jack Nicholson basically playing the devil, uh, which is spot on for him. 1990s Jack Nicholson is the devil. Not I'm, I'm grinning and nodding like the devil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for joining us, Will. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug? I hear you've got a show. Uh, yeah, just um, to everyone in Australia, you know, uh, Chapo Trap House, the podcast, yeah. and uh, the book. If, if you can get that in Australia, uh, buy it. Buy the book. Yeah. Buy the book. Um, pay pay whatever you got to pay uh, Jeff Bezos to get it shipped over. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And um, as always, you can get a, an extra bonus episode every week over on the old Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista. And uh, we'll see you over there when we see you. Thanks, everybody. Oh, and Bye -bye. shout out the, uh, the Apex oh. gang in Australia. Mm. Uh, shout mm. out to the, to the leader of the Hunter Valley subdivision of the Apex gang, Matt Brady. Who's in America right now. What? Yes. I had no idea. He's in our, our wonderful country right now. My goodness. My goodness. I thought you well, guys were tightening your border controls. <laughs> <laughs> They're, uh, Australia's not sending us their best. I'm just imagining, I'm just imagining like a shot on the news of um, like the migrant caravan outside the Tijuana border and just Matt standing in the middle of the crowd. You doing, know? <laughs> doing that weird, yeah, the same in face, doing that fucking, oh, Aren't send him back. Like scrolling through people's like social media and stuff it's like so so when you so here when you said that you were the leader of the Wollongong Apex gang <laughs> tell me more about that just lock the door if you can that's it well oh, uh, once again thanks for having me on guys well thank thanks you very well. much and, uh, we'll see you around folks bye bye, bye.